Hello, and welcome to the No Good Poetry Podcast. Each week we talk about the good, the bad, and the ugly of poetry. This is episode 87 with Joseph Makos and Joseph Bievenet. This is the good, bad, and the ugly, isn't it? There's some ugly shit out there, kids. Let's make the world safer for poetry. Welcome back to the show. We are uh, on O.C. Haley again, and um, back for another uh, episode. And another episode, another week. And our our episode this week takes us deeper into the the realm of um, visual poetry and pedagogy, and going into an arts high school in New Orleans to go teach visual poetry with a bunch of awesome materials and tools. And yeah, so what we did. Two days. Well, I was only there one day. Yeah. You were, you were there the other day um, at NOCA. Yep. New Orleans Center. New Orleans Center for Creative Arts. Yeah. Uh, doing a little visual poetry workshop for some of the freshman students in the academic studio. But this time, the workshop was quite different because of the amount of people that we are uh, students, right, that we took on over the course of that short period of time. So we kind of had to retool the workshop a little bit. We had to reconfigure the bounty of supplies that we would use. It wasn't as minimal as other workshops we've taught. And um, we had to like basically go to the within the constraints of the time and the classroom. But we did have a lot of resources. So it was like a resource abundant situation. And I think I'm pretty interested in talking about the outcomes and uh, about the process we went through. And the interesting things that I think the dynamics of, of student work and students who are learning in real time and doing something really active and, and live in, in, in the classroom like that. Yeah, and I think it went pretty well, but it also gave me some ideas about how to adjust some of those things because I think it's a little different. For sure. Well, it's different every time, right? Because I mean, I've done, done this with my students before too, but it's less of them and it's a little different. Um, this is a bit uh, there were some things that, you know, if we, if we did it again, I would do a little bit differently. There's but, a little spats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, so let's like, so we, we were in uh, the classroom with, with the, uh, Raina Zelinsky, uh, and she was, she has this awesome, beautiful room, and it's sort of like an old warehouse that's been, the, this whole school is built in this old cool warehouse that's been re- that part of, that, that part, part of the school. school. Yeah. Uh, and this, it's a beautiful space that they've created. So it's like yeah, it really, really a big thinking kind of room. Okay. So there's like work tables and there's, and so the first day we, we, we opened it up with an, and Joseph did an introduction. Yeah. Which was new. I haven't, I hadn't done that particular before because normally, I mean, that's one of the things that's different. Like normally when I do visual poetry with my students, I have a lot of time to, they, I give them homework assignments to look at visual poems and think about it and think about what that means and, and expose them to, a, to it a little bit more before they get to do it. But because of the way NOCA is, they don't have homework. You can't assign things that way. And uh, we only had the two class periods. So this was like an attempt to kind of give a quick introduction. <laughs> so give a quick introduction to visual poetry, like just quick. Like, I mean, like 12, 15 minutes, you know overview show them sort of like the tech technology sort of like the material culture history of it you know we have this that's one thing that's interesting about the uh, visual poetry and is that you know we have this like really specific um it's it's a culture thing where it's 
it's intertwined with visual history and visual art and, and material culture. That's one level of that visual poetry. Well, and like it's, it's like printed it this way or it's, you, yeah, yeah. or it's written this way or it's, it's a calligram or it's a, a print uh, thing. You know what I mean? So it's an inter- it's, it's, it's really intertwined, intertwined within not just the poetic history because when we take it, we're taking it a little bit out of context, but we explain it within context. Yeah, but you've got yeah, it is it's different from other writing, right? Because you have to hit some of the visual stuff a little bit, and, and the historics matter, and the his and the history does matter, and then also there's like this linguistic element of thinking about language in a little bit of a different way than I think writers usually think about language, right? Thinking about the multiple layers of meaning that are really going on with language, right? And those things are related to the conventions in which those different types of visual poetry were used. Yeah. In all those yeah. different cool formats. Like yeah. whether it's in a, a, a religious text or whether it's found in, you know, uh, sort of like collections of uh, poetry from Gro- Greek. Was it Roman? Yeah, that was, no, that was ancient Greek. Ancient uh, Greek. Ancient Greek text. And there's, there's other examples. Uh, there's a lot of stuff from the Renaissance, but it's less interesting to me. But like, yeah, but there is... Yeah, there are, there are a lot of religious connections too. But yeah, the ancient Greek stuff is not religious, but yeah, there's some ancient Greek visual poetry more sure. in that kind of calligram sort of tradition. I mean, they didn't call them calligrams, but shaped like things, you know, shaped yeah. like uh You know, it's items. one thing. You know, it's one thing I just thought of right now is that, you know, we could show them you know, we could bring in, you know, I, I don't think it would be a bad idea, for, especially for high school students, to bring in even, like, some illuminated stuff of Blake. Yeah, to, no, that's true. Uh, to, to help make a bridge for them in their minds between, like, um, painting and poetry. Like, the – because that's an interesting – if you show that lens of it, just relating it I to – I mean, that's the difficult thing about doing this is because, uh, I mean, you could easily – I mean, I was thinking about this today. I mean, you could teach – easily four full courses on visual poetry and break it down into all these things, right? Like, cause I mean, yeah, like, cause you get into these whole things, the more painterly aspects of it, that's almost a whole different branch of things. Cause Patchen's closer to Blake than you would yeah. say, like, you know, BP nickel is to. Yeah. And then you could ease, I mean, I don't know. I mean, you could do more than four courses. Really. You could do a whole course just on typewriter visual poetry. Oh yeah. On its own, absolutely. right? Like, you know, so, I mean, that's always the difficulty because you're trying to distill this massive thing yeah. into – and you don't really – and you're also – the main goal is to have them make something. So you don't want to get too bogged down in – Yeah. although it's all interesting Okay, fun, so yes, you know? we're coming in. We're giving this background, this historic background, and then we're jettisoning right into – you know, explaining the materials we have. We have st- we have we have ink stamps and we have stencils and we have paint and we have cut ups, scissors and glue, and we have typewriters and we have uh letter set rub off letters and we have um whatever else was in there, uh materials. And it's amazing to me every time Yeah. Every group uses the materials differently. Absolutely. Overall, like and what I mean, I think people are kind of always drawn to the letter set and the typewriters more than anything else because they're different materials and interesting and things you don't play with oh, every yeah. day. We we absolutely li- we 
I, I look, I let I let go because I was like, man, my lecture set is getting ravaged by these high school yeah. kids, but they had so much fun with it. So And it wasn't there. I mean, are you, you No, we still have thousands of letters, tons of tens of thousands of letters left. <laughs> no, but it was fun. They had they had a lot of fun with it, you know. I think the lecture set was something that they specifically went into and I and I noticed, you know, there were some people who were very I thought some students, so let's talk about like sort of, an, I'm not, and I'm not naming any students specifically. I'm just remember, I'm just remembering some of the work, uh, unnamed work. But there were some students who at the far end of sort of curatorial selection, there was one student who took a vintage piece of paper with a little printed illustration of a dog on it, like the tiniest little illustration of a dog, like the size of a, of a half dollar. And he, with very much in, in, in intention, he went through the letter, letter set collection and he chose like one letter from every different type, yeah, yeah, type yeah. of text. And he did this really delicate, nuanced piece where he really like almost created like a pattern yeah. of interesting pattern of typefaces in a painterly way on that little piece of vintage paper. And that's the piece he worked on the whole time. And he brought it to me like four times over the development of that one piece. And, and I was like impressed with this kid's just like the way that he laid each letter on the page in a different direction and a different position. And there weren't a lot of overlapping pieces. It was more like a floating pattern. Like it was like, like, like Dolce and Gabbana, like logos, like on a purse or something. And it was just done in a cool way. I mean, that's a neat thing, though, right? And that's like, I mean, in all visual poetry, you kind of break down on that. You've got some people who do that, and then you have other people who stick with, like, one girl found this gothic font that she liked and made a butterfly shape out of the gothic font. And it was kind of cool. It was a neat-looking thing, it right? Was. But it was just all... But that's like a whole different tact from this other student you're talking about. Totally. All sticking with one font, one size. Totally. Going... But, totally. you know, I mean, that's part of what's fun about it. There's so many different directions you can go in with these things. And In, in day two, I got a chance to sit with the students. And uh, we did um, a little bit of more of a, 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 a writing reflection about what they had done the day before and like the materials they used and how they, how, what they they did sort of describe their piece. They, she, uh, she, Raina gave them directions on like, oh, sorry. Raina gave them directions on like, you describe your piece, talk about the materials you used, talk about the themes you were working through, your approach to it, what you think you could add to it, what you learned from it. And some students had some really interesting reflections on that, you know, like, um, talking about like, uh, the 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 um the ability to have emotion without necessarily a message that was yeah. interesting the way that you can paint or direct the usage of what you were doing whether it was dark or bright or or uh, you know what i mean like that, that was an absolutely, interesting way yeah. how to have emotion without necessarily using words you know like but using language uh you know some of the students were really inter- in- interested in you know like um uh, what new layers they could bring in on the second day so when students came up to me and would sit with me for a while, I would just look at their piece. I would ask them some questions. I would say, you know, what do you, what, what do you, what's coming through for you here? Is there, is there a message that you want to come across? Are you, are you allowing it to have multiple meanings? If it had multiple meanings, what could it be? And then some students I would say, okay, Tell me the process you use first. Why did you choose those? Yeah, yeah. Which pro? Are, are you thinking about adding to it? Yes, no. 
some students were like, no, I think it's done. And be like, okay, you, w- tell me why you think it's done. And they would say it's, and, 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 and a lot of times it, some of the work was done. And we, t- and I would, I would talk to some of the students about the diminishing returns. Like if you add too much more, how, when does it start to take away from the piece? And it definitely happens, right? Like I was doing one when my students were working, I was working on one of my own with, with Robon letters and I, went past it and I was really annoyed at myself. I was like, oh shit, it looked really good. Oh, it was And like I so just went brutal. a little bit past it, you know? Like, and that happens. But, and whatever, it's not the end of the world. It's but it's like, but that it, there is that thing, right? Like, you can go a little further than you need to go. Like, totally. stopping is part of it. Stopping is part of it. Stopping and like looking away and then coming back is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I think, yeah, I, I think that, you know, some students, you know, there was a few students that I thought, like, had an incredibly innate sense of composition. And I was really impressed with that. And I, I would ask them, I say, I say, how did you, how did you, okay, how did you compose this? And then, like, the one girl was like, oh, well, we're talking about composition in visual art class now. Yeah. And I thought that that yeah. was really bright to bring... Of course, it was a natural thing well, to I do, mean, that's, but to, that's, that's amazing. Yeah. That was nice. That was an advantage that that student had over and, and that another was, student. That, that's that what's made this a little bit different. Like in the past, I think when we've done these, it's been writers, right? Whether it was at, at the poetry festival or in Uruguay, or even when I do those with my students, they're all creative writing students. In this, these case, are like high and, school freshmen, and yeah. But in this case, it was. Uh, but no, but I'm saying it's different, right? Because you had people who. Some of those were creative writing students, but I think the majority of them were in other creative arts, right? So it was they were coming at it from a little bit of a different angle than I think a writer would necessarily, yes. right? You know, they definitely were. And you know, there's a, there's a lot of I think like what's interesting too is they pick it up, and you know, uh, Raina said this in the class is like you know like you know this. Uh, this like torturous language that comes through, like like they there's like this interesting generational language that's coming through that's very like, you know, like the whole like tr- like, like Trump hate wall one and like, and and but here's the thing though, it's there already, like it's already in yeah. the magazine cut ups, like it's there, it's present. They're just tuning into a very specific. But I direct think that message. happens always. It's it just different language for different. Generations. Generations. But right. But that's always something that I think is like you almost have to fight doing, right? When you're making visual poetry is like is I mean, you also have to I think fight having too much content on some level. Yes. Or too coherent of content. I mean you can have content. I mean, not necessarily. I mean I guess that's not totally true. You can have which is something that's interesting, and you know, I don't know. I, I, I let's like finish. Let's like continue talking about this particular experience for a second. But I kind of would like to transition to that and some things. I, you know, and then it, doing this. I mean, again, I mean, we, well, we've been doing so much visual poetry stuff lately, which is nice. But it's been making me think about it and ha- think about how some of that works, and that'd be cool to talk about a little bit too. But uh, I don't know if you had more. You were you were things specifically were saying about uh, about this particular experience of this of this workshop of this, you know? Yeah. I just think that there was like some, you know, there were some hangups, I think for some students where, you know, they didn't know how to necessarily use the, use the materials. They, it was an, it was an infamous infamiliarity with the materials, you know, like some students would just use paint and I I would ask them, I would ask them, well, like, okay, you just use paint, but there's, 
ink stamps and there's uh, rub-off letters and stencils and typewriters. Why didn't you use any of those things that we brought here today? And and they would they would be like, oh, I didn't think, you know, I don't know, I don't know. I'm like, okay, well, maybe try to use stamps now, or maybe try to go use the typewriter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would encourage them to use stuff that they hadn't tried, you know. And I think like maybe they were like a little afraid of some well, of that. I think for anyone, even adults, like part of it is like letting go. Yeah, you know, like not being like, okay, I might make a dumb looking thing. That's okay. I, I'm trying to make a dumb looking thing. You know? Yeah. It's just like, <laughs> oh well, you know, like that's not. <laughs> and then sometimes you don't, right? Sometimes you, so sometimes that's the best stuff, right? You're, you're really dissatisfied with it and then it comes out the best, right? Like on accident. You gotta, just, yeah. You know? <laughs> I'm going for the happy accident all the time. I'm going for the happy accident all the time, you know, in my, in, in, in practice. But I think, yeah, it was interesting just seeing this work develop over the course of two days, um, sitting with students and, you know, those teacherly things were just kicking back in. Like, I mean, I hate to say it, but some of these like innate things were, well, it's, I don't hate to say it, but it, 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 it was like there was these natural things that I would fall into that were very like inquisitive for the students. Like I would just ask questions for them to think about, like, for like, you really need to ask them the right questions. It reminded me of working with like developmental developmental English students at Delgado, yeah, it, but yeah. not in a in a completely different way, like not like in a way where it was like I it was in a way where it was like you have to approach the issue with infancy as though you don't actually know yourself. Like I would ask them questions like, well, what are you what are you trying to say about this, or what which part of it is this? Yeah, and I would be like, I don't know. You tell me, and they'd be like, well, what, what's it supposed to be? And I'd be like, well, well I don't but know. I, but I'm I was, asking you a question because you know, I don't yeah. know. That's a great part about teaching, I think, and it's something that I always appreciate about it is it certain things you don't even think about anymore because you just have internalized them so much, right? But then when you're seeing it through the eyes of someone who hasn't had that experience of yeah. internalizing it, you have to look at it again in a, in, a, in a new way, in a fresh way, which is different. Yeah. You forget some of those things, right? Uh and sometimes that's good that you've forgotten them, but sometimes it's probably not. You're taking things for granted that you wouldn't necessarily. Uh, it makes me want to just, yeah. well, I just want to do more visual poetry. I mean, I no, think. I, I agree. I think uh, like a lot more. And I, I, and I think like, honestly, like uh, we need to do the workshop. We need to do a workshop here. No, we do need to Absolutely. do it here. I, I, well, I mean, we should definitely do that. But okay, so that leads me to because then I've been thinking about that and what things we can add and what things we can do. And when I made that presentation for the NOCA thing, there's that portion which I think is important both both in thinking about where to begin with visual poetry, but also because it's kind of like how you sell visual poetry to people. Because some people aren't keen on the idea from the beginning, right? Yeah. Uh, they're kind of suspicious of this notion of combining <laughs> a visual aspect into poetry but there's this weird like linguistic aspect of it i think like it comes down to like what things that we take for granted about language uh oh for sure i think i think what happens is is when you start to break the language apart into its into its into its essentially pho well phonemes linguistically but when the phonemes come through in juxtaposition of letters in general, 
at whether or not they're intended or not. And you have this way that you, when you're breaking language up and you're making, when you're, and you're using like the letter B as a, yeah, as yeah. an imprint, the letter B by itself does become B. And, or B, 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 or B. It be, it becomes potential it can, or for it, sound. And it also gets disembodied from the sound in some way too, right? Like there's, but it makes you, I mean, that's really what it comes down to is it makes you conscious of these things that you don't normally think about of language, right? And that's part of what's really wonderful about visual poetry. Kind of like what we were saying about the teaching thing. It kind of almost does the same thing. It makes you, this language that we use every day, but we don't really think of all the, how complex it really is and all the things that go into it. Ah, uh, I don't know. It's, it's kind of like, dangerous, right, to go down that. Well, it is dangerous, but it's wonderful. So I was thinking about that, and I was like, oh, let me see what stuff is out there. You I found something some stuff. about cognition and... Oh, this article is great. This article is great. So I was reading this article, Picture Poems, Some Cognitive and Aesthetic Principles. Where's the author on this thing? I printed this out directly from UbuWeb. Well, I don't know. It does not seem... To give me the author on here, but I will certainly post post the link to it, and it should tell me the author on there. It kind of related to a lot of the things that I was already thinking about, but it's interesting. I mean, I also was reading some other stuff that's more from Visual Poets on Ubu Web, but this is more from like an academic perspective mm -hmm. and a bit of a linguistic perspective, and it's really interesting. And it's like some of the stuff that I like. I was already like when we were thinking about this, trying to break down, which is always interesting to think about, break down language into like composite parts. But because this is coming from a more academic perspective, they were like kind of talking about some of those things and, and thinking about it. And I don't know, there are really neat things in there, right? Like when you think about like we use language for communication all the time, right? And we don't – I mean, which is interesting. Like you think of like – we think of language as like signifying something, right? But you've got – the words that are the things doing the signifying, right? But then you don't think about how that actually works because if someone can talk to you and you get the signified part, you get what they're getting at, you, you understand what they're saying and don't remember anything about the words used to... You won't remember the exact words, right? You're not thinking about how that was conveyed. You could not even hear half of it and still probably get the meaning out of it, right? Sure. Which, okay, sure. Yeah, I know, but it's weird, right? You say that, it's like, sure, that makes sense. But then that's not how people normally think about language. They think about the words individually as being what conveys the meaning. But it's not really. It's the combination of like gestures and and your and, and your familiarity and, with those gestures and your inferences that are happening in real time. Yeah, right. We don't need all of the things we use to communicate something, right? Like the words are almost, in some sense, secondary in some ways, right? In some ways. Oh, there's a lot of interesting things, but I mean, it, but kind of like how like. Kind of like how like uh, two people who really know each other super well, like for a long, long, long time, like can develop their own language. You know, people who like develop their own languages together. You know, 
Or like, think of like we talked about, like with our trip to Uruguay, how much you can get from someone when you're not even speaking the same language. Yeah. Because those gestures fill in the gaps and sounds fill in the gaps because there's sounds that are universal even if, even outside of language, right? And expressions and things like, you know, it's just language is more complicated. So I don't know. There's lots of interesting. So one thing that was really interesting in there, a lot of what, a lot of what this article talked about and, and is important is, is, like, and especially when you're talking about poetry, right? We kind of separate. Like we talk about this as performance all the time. The part of reading a poem on the page as opposed to listening to a poem. Like as if there's some separation between those two things, right? But a lot of what this talks about how is the reality is the way that our brains process language. It's parallel, right? You need both of those things. And that's why language is functional and it's not really functional without both. Mm -hmm. It needs both. Right? Because you can't... It's interesting, right? Well, like, we think about... I mean, and they talk about that in here, like, people, like, students who have problems with reading, it's almost always problems with Phonemes, it's really a sound problem more than it is a processing problem, or it's a processing problem that's related to sound, right? It's almost always kids who have a hard time distinguishing between similar phonemes mm-hmm. or who have. Because even when you're reading, you're doing that, right? And if you think about how language works, how speech works, you're not just. hearing what is said you're you're seeing someone's mouth move and you're seeing the expressions they make on their face and then when you learn how to speak you're making those same movements and you're feeling them it's involving all your senses oh, really yeah. right like you're involving touch in you're feeling how your mouth is and how your lips move and sight looking at the person and you know and the sound i mean you're really using all of your senses when you're doing that right and it's self reinforcing yep and they talked about inherent, which is interesting, and I mean, I'm sure it's true, but I never thought about. They talk about a paper where someone looked at every language, both that currently exists and that existed in ancient times that we have records of. And every orthographic system, no matter when it occurred, yes, it's representational of things, but it's not. It's not really word by word. It's always phoneme based in some way, right? You you could imagine that there could be a language where a symbol stands for a word rather than standing sure. for a phoneme, but it, that doesn't exist, right? There's no <laughs> – all of them have some phonemic aspect to it. But also, on the other hand, there's no truly 100% phoneme based language that developed naturally. I mean, yes, you have like the IPA system or something. But that's developed for academic purposes. There's never been an orthographic system, a writing system that's naturally developed that is just completely phonemic, right? Wow. Which is interesting when you start to think about what does writing mean then, right? 
I'm trying to wrap my mind around that. That's that's crazy. Does it? Yeah. But those things happen. They happen naturally within languages, though, don't they? What happens naturally within languages? Words that. Words that take on the meaning, you know, like logo, like logotypes, when it becomes the logo, logotype. Logo as in like the logo, like where the word becomes like, you know, like a logo, like you see, you know, like when Coca-Cola becomes like when you see it, your head registers Coca-Cola, although it's it's a logo for a, a product, it becomes more of a gra- an image. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's complex, right? And it's hard to really tell. That's like the far end of it. Do you know what I mean? That is the far end of it. And it's hard to break that down into... What that means, right? Is it really standing for that, or did you? Yeah, right, is your right. brain did we, did we is your brain it, just skipping all these steps that it's actually steps doing because it's seen yeah. it so many times, right? Yeah, that's I don't know. what it is. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's super interesting. Uh, so there's this really cool study in the '40s about um, it was people who were trying to develop reading machines for people who are blind. Right? Okay. So the idea was seemed like a good idea, and it's pretty simple, right? That they would take correspondence between phonemes and attach musical tones to those okay. different phonemes, right? And so then you could hear those tones just like you would hear the alphabetical phonemes, and be able to 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 get the speech in that way. So if they so you could create some kind of machine that could read the letters and recognize that they meant those phonemes and play the musical tones, right? Totally. But the interesting thing is, right, you can, when you hear speech sounds, it comes in at 40 bits a second, right? And we can distinguish the difference between those sounds, right? We can, they don't all run together. But what happened with the musical tones is even when you play them slower than 40 bits a second, your brain just perceives it all as one tone. It runs it all together. Uh. So it didn't work. Because there's something about speech, and I think the fact that it's tied to, I don't know, it's about like the way the stops happen, and part of that is maybe just coincidence of the way your mouth is shaped and those things, that it creates distinctive stopping points between those sounds that you can hear even when they're happening very quickly. Yeah. Which wouldn't ha- it doesn't happen with notes, right? Huh. Which is part of the again physical aspect of it. Yeah. Interesting. What if they slowed it? Yeah. I mean, you would have to slow it down even more, I guess. I mean, but then it becomes untenable, right? If you have to slow it down so much yeah. that there, then it's not like reading anymore. It's like slowly decoding something, yeah. right? That was the thing I was trying to find. I couldn't find before. I don't know. It's all really interesting. And so they had this kind of theory about visual poetry in the sense, even the earlier stuff, that it's drawing attention to these aspects of language that we don't necessarily pay attention to. So I like this. This is like a silly joke, but they, they brought to mind out this is like kind of the same thing visual poetry does. What cheese is made backwards? Uh, <laughs> what cheese is made backwards? Uh, Edam cheese. Yeah, uh, yeah, but right, like that's a funny thing, right? Because it's totally relying on the physical orthographic properties of the letters, right? Yeah. 
Which is what a lot of visual poetry does, too, right? It does sometimes, yeah. Not all of it, but a lot of it. But even the ones that aren't doing wordplay necessarily like that, like that's a lot of what they're doing, this kind of drawing attention to this separation between the physical property of the words and the, the heard spoken property of the words, right? Yeah. But then it sends you down this little rabbit hole of thinking about that and like, there's certainly this continuum, even in normal poetry, of how you're using language, how much you're drawing. I mean, really what it comes down to is how much are you drawing attention to the artificial properties of language as opposed to the less artificial properties of language. And it always has both, right? Maybe in some ways the sound properties of language are more primal Right. They're more primal. They're more related to the heartbeat, the fire, the earth, the, 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 sound, the, the natural surroundings as, as far as nature goes. I mean, they say Sanskrit's a language of fire, you know? And I feel like different languages sort of have different emotional ranges. But a lot of the sound part is almost universal, right? Like we can pick oh, out it has to be. sound parts of different languages and, and they, they all kind of fall in the same i mean not exactly but there's a lot of things we can say are similar or the same right maybe not all of it is but but some of it certainly is when you think about those phonological properties of it and i don't know and i mean there's just like a lot of ways to think about that and what that means and what that does but i mean that's part of what's so interesting about visual poetry because it draws attention to it in some of the most extreme ways right but i mean i think a lot of the stuff i like I mean, we talk even non-visual poetry. When you talk about more, when you talk, I mean, that's what surrealism and Dada were doing too. In a different, even outside the visual part, the way they're putting the words together or drawing attention to it, like focusing on the individual parts of the language rather than the whole. Right? Where when we communicate normally, we pay attention to the whole and don't pay attention to the parts. Right? We just get the gist of the thing, like we were talking about. Like, you can understand what someone says and not really hear half of the damn thing, right? Mm -hmm. Where, to me, that's, like, what's interesting about poetry in general, and visual poetry particularly. Like, you you're, have to focus on the parts, right? But maybe that's useful to do all the time in some ways because, I mean, yes, it's not always useful, <laughs> to pay attention to the parts on some level, but then you miss a lot of things when all you're doing is getting the gist of it and not paying attention. To well, if you can, together, yeah, if you, you can know? observe the macro and micro, then that's how you understand nuance, you know, or how you, you can tune in to patterns and repetition and, and uh, flavor. People try to describe it, you know, in other ways, but you could really, it depends on how far you want to break it down, you know, and some work just doesn't go that deep. Some work does go that deep. Some work doesn't. Yeah, yeah. No, but I mean, I like the thing. I mean, that's that the depth. That even even in the know? classroom, even in the classroom, to bring it back to the classroom, I think that there's, you know, there's there's more risk. The more layers you go, the more risk you take, you know, and and in visual poetry, and um, you know, if you stay in the typewriter, then you're confined within the space of the typewriter. If you stay within stencils, you're co you're confined within the space of stencils. And we and we know that there's an entire world of stencil art, 
And you know, there's an entire world of typewriter art that's not just visual poetry. And there's not, and there's and there's typewriter. There's the typewriter as the tool. There's the typewriter as the paintbrush. Well, but it's also yeah, like we can take it to visual poetry too, right? Like it's like there's different. If you think about all the different ways that people create visual poetry, you have something like those ancient Greek things, or like George Herbert or something, where the visual part is very much in harmony with the content, right? And then you have visual poetry that is using the dissonance against it. And that's part of what's interesting, right? Is like, okay, there might be a word and you rearrange the letters and it's different things. Or there might be a thing that's almost a word, but not quite. And it, that's part of the dissonance is like how your brain is trying to figure that out or how the letters are arranged. And it almost, there's this continuum there too of, And that's part of what it is, because language is composed of these various aspects, right? We've got the phonological part, we've got the visual part, we've got the physical part, we've got all of these different things. And your choice in writing in general or in visual art is, do you want to try to make this seamless thing where you it seems like there's no different parts and it seems like it's this beautiful, seamless thing? Or do you want to make something where you like having the rough edges and that's part of the interesting tension that comes out of it is seeing that there are all these composite parts coming together, right? I think in my work I go two different directions. You know, I think I have like an idea of like a refined visual, you know, refined sort of visual type. And then I have this like sort of unrefined sort of out there kind of like everything going wild and you see where the intersections are and they're risky but i'm trying to control something but i'm not really trying to control anything but i'm trying to create more more like weird interactions and intersections of language and and so i'm 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 trying to go like four layers i'm trying to go five layers six layers I'm well, that's to... what i'm saying it's a continuum so you're trying to hit somewhere in the middle but maybe a little more towards the fragmented side but you're you're trying to do you're not all the way on the like as fragmented as it can be side either. You know? uh, not yet, but I'm, I'm just seeing where four and five go. I'm just seeing like where four and five layers can do and how the interactions come between four and five different layers, you know? That's, that's, I'm excited at that point, but I don't know. But I'm talking, I'm also talking like philosophically, like what do you think? And you're, I think in the continuum you're on, you're probably more on the fragmented side than on the cohesive side, right? Yeah, I think I have something that comes out of me that is cohesive. But I think that the fragmented. But it's but that's what I'm saying. It's a continuum. There's not. It's not like one thing or the other. It's but not. and of course, for anyone, you can do parts of both. And it's maybe interesting to do some of both. True. Or to be in different places on that continuum. But I think sometimes, like, and this is something we always come back to. I think a lot of the boring poetry that gets written. Is really on that fusion side of the continuum of not letting you see any of the seams. Definitely, it's you very know? tailored. It's very yeah. tailored. It's very touched. It's very tailored. It's very, um, uh, very intentional, and it's you know it's very composed and it's very direct. You know, and you can do that, and you can do that if you're writing poetry, and that's fine. I mean, it's not fine. It's probably going to be bad poetry, but you can do <laughs> that. But you can't do that in visual poetry, right? You can't 
not be confronted with the fact that language is this more complicated thing than we normally think about it as. Right? I mean, it's just, it is what it is. You show it and that's what it is. You can't, present it. yeah, but you can't be, you can't, you, I think that's one of the things I like about it and, and especially about having people do visual poetry who have not done it before is it makes you come to terms with some of those things about language that you would never have necessarily thought about. Even writers, like there's plenty of writers who don't, I know. I would never think, think about that, right? Nope. N- not once. <laughs> this whole time. They've been writing their whole life. That has not come come to the fore at any point. Because they're not looking below the floorboards. Yeah, but that's what I like about it. It's like a way of doing it, and it's not a confrontational way of doing it. It's like, hey, why don't you try to do some visual poetry? And then I don't think... But well, we successfully got 66 high school kids to do it. Yeah. They're, they're ahead of the game. They're ahead of the game. They're way ahead of the game, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so I hope we do some more of these, and I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I we're going to – this is the call. To... Get ready. I guess we're going to do an announcement early 2019, and we're going to have a workshop, and it's going to be – you know, it's going to start some Yeah, we're going to figure out the details. We're gonna, we we want to do that in some way. Eight to ten people. It'll be small. And I would like to – I think a great thing to do – would be I want to get some writers that haven't maybe especially writers who haven't done this before, but it'd be cool to get some visual artists too. Like have a combination of writers, maybe that's, five that's writers, great. five visual artists would be kind of would cool be to get that interaction between yeah, them. That would be of, that would be perfect. Know? That'd be amazing. That'd be a good way to do it. All right, so you know I know sorry it's been two weeks in a row without a guest, but I think we have some guests coming up soon. I think we have a guest next week, right? Don't we? we? Do. Yeah. Who do we have next week? Laura Goldstein. Oh, Laura Goldstein is next week. Lara. Lara is going to be in from Chicago. Nice. So, and I think she's, uh, she is teaching a workshop at the Dragonfly. So I think if you look that up and you're in New Orleans and you listen to this and you want to check it out, there's a workshop. She's doing a one day workshop, I think, uh, on the 20th in the Dragonfly. The dragonfly. What's it? What's it? What's the, uh, I don't waste a little thanks. We don't yeah, know. We don't right know what now. it is. Yeah. <laughs> Play. It's like play. It's like a, being a play. It's I forget what it is. Damn. It's but it's, well, she, I'm she, sure she'll talk about it yeah. next time. I'm sure she'll talk about it. But I thought maybe we could preview it. But Great. yeah, so you make me sound up. like an idiot. No, that was not the goal. <laughs> Sorry, Laura. Sorry, Lara. I just thought you knew. Sorry, Lara. I thought you knew, and we could. But we can still plug it and say, yeah, if you're um, looking for something Take to do look. next week, you could maybe there might still be spots left in that workshop. I don't know. Yeah, might be. I think there are. Um, all right. And I don't know. I don't have anything else coming up this week. I don't know if you have anything else you need to plug. Not really. But we will have another uh, Lucky Bean poetry reading coming up in January. Okay. We have not picked our... Your Lucky Bean. But um, but it was good. Bernard Bernard was great. Did a great job at the That's reading. That's awesome. Yeah. And that was a lot of fun. We'll have another one of those coming up too. Cool. All right. So, I don't know. More visual yeah. poetry. Go try some visual poetry, people. It's a lot mm. of fun. And we will see you, see you next, next week. week.